Alright, so we are going to the epistle of 1 John. And uh, we went through the uh, verses 6 through 8. And now we're hitting, uh, now we're looking at 1 John 1 9. And um, the thing is, is that we want God's Word to have free course in our life. We want to walk in the light as He is in the light. Because it's only in walking in God's light that we can really come to know the joy of fellowship that John is talking about here. That's what he says here in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, knowing the joy of, of fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And so that's what we've been going through. I've also been pointing out some things in regards to uh, those who want to seduce you away from fellowship. And so I've been uh, bringing that to your attention. Carmen, this is for you. Don't let me forget. And so um, there are those who want to seduce us away from from uh, this fellowship, and I've been trying to point those things out because they can be. Some of them are so subtle that we're not aware of it, but yet some of them are so blatant. I did. I think. I'm pretty sure I did. I did. Yep. Up checking. Okay. Hairball. Yeah, hairball. All right, so let's take a look at this. And 1 John 1, 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what happens when we fall out of fellowship? Well, we have the condition of confession. We have the condition of confession. And I know that this verse is found in our D1 lessons. I know this is one of those memory verses that's in our discipleship lessons. And um, the application in our discipleship lessons, you know, it holds true. But to take this verse in the context, right? That's the number one rule of Bible study is context, context, context. So to take this verse in the context, we have to look at it in the light of 1 John chapter 1, 6 through 10. So on your study guide... Here in 1 John 1, 9, John is referring to those who have become aware, is your word. Become aware of some personal sin while being in fellowship with God. Alright? And that's, that is very possible. That is a reality. I believe this is what Watchman Nee would uh, refer to as part of the normal Christian life. Um, Watchman Nee, of course, was a uh, Chinese man who was thrown in prison for his faith in, in communist China. And he lost his life for his faith, and he, and he wrote some pretty good books. But uh, a life that's lived in the light of God's Word, uh, when you are in God's Word... now. Am I the only one that this, that's this way? When you are in God's Word and you are fellowshipping in God's Word, isn't there a, isn't there a, 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 a sensitivity that takes place? Yeah, there is. And that's the way it should be. There is a certain sensitivity to certain issues in a person's life. And it's this, uh, it's these issues that often will threaten to disrupt uh, our fellowship with God. And one can be serving God with a clear conscience. You, you can be doing all the right things, you know, in quotation marks. You could, in all of that. But uh, a part of walking with God in, in, in the light that God is, every once in a while, uh, the Spirit of God is going to touch 
an issue or an area in your life. And I, I, I often refer to that as a twinge in my heart. I don't know if you've ever heard me say that, but I'll be reading something and then when I read it, I'll get a little twinge in my heart. Well, that's the Holy Spirit, you know, telling me you need to pay attention to what's, what you're reading here. You need to pay attention to what you're reading here. You know, the Apostle Paul was somebody who was very, very careful about this, this uh, having a clear conscience, right? Being, being very careful about his own relationship with God. He said in Acts 24, 16, he says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. So that's really what we're striving for. We're striving for a conscience that's void of offense toward God and toward man. So when you're in God's word... And the light of God reveals something, you know, that's, that's a, the best time to, uh, handle that situation or take care of whatever, whatever it is. And that's, that's part of the ex, and the part of the exercising of that is confession. Is confession. So on your study guide, uh, though in a salvation sense, this verse may be utilized, is a fancy word, utilized, when speaking to a lost person, and it can apply to someone who may have backslidden, backslidden is the word, and wandered away from fellowship as that first step back into agreement with God and his word and his people. So confession is that first step. Confession is that first step. Also on your study guide, in the context of this passage... This applies to the child of God who's in fellowship with God and due to being in the Word, the light of the Word has exposed an issue of the heart that God's Word has brought to their attention. Remember, that's one of the things that we studied about as far as light is concerned. One of the things about light is that it exposes or reveals, right? Uh, with, With Ron as an exception, if we were to turn off all the lights... In this room, would we be, I'm talking blocking out all, would we be able to see each other? As soon as that light comes on, what happens? Yeah, we, we are revealed, you know, everybody is revealed, everybody, well that's what being uh, in fellowship with God. When you are walking in the light as He is in the light, then there are going to be things exposed. Good things, as well as things that aren't so good. Alright? Good things as well as things that aren't so good. When those things that aren't so good show up, again, keeping in context, verses 6 through 10, right? Instead of denying that sin or attempting to justify that sin or trying to minimalize that sin like what we were looking at, be honest. You're right, Lord. You're right. I'm not going to argue with you on this. You're absolutely right. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for that sincere, honest heart. That's what he's looking for. Don't play the game. Be jealous of your fellowship with the Father. I mean, we're so jealous over so many things. Why not be jealous of your fellowship? Why not be jealous of that relationship? So, on your worksheet, something else about this is uh, 
Don't linger. I, I don't have linger on your worksheet. It should read this way. They are not to despair, but rejoice. Rejoice. And that God has provided a means for them to continue in uninterrupted fellowship with him. Uninterrupted fellowship with him. So don't linger in despair. God doesn't want you to linger in despair. He doesn't. So, you know, if, you, if you're aware of something, go ahead and confess it. You know, hey, Lord, you, uh, thank you for making me aware of this. Okay? But don't linger in despair over it. You know where the interruption in fellowship comes from? When you try to sweep it under the carpet. Right? When you try to ignore it. When you say, well, that really doesn't apply in my case. That's where the interruption in fellowship comes from. When you don't want to face the truth about yourself. Now, do you think God's revealing that truth about yourself to be a meanie? No. Of course he's not. Of course he's not. He's not doing that to be mean. But if we have a, if we have this reluctance or this resistance, that's what's going to interrupt your fellowship. That's what's going to interrupt your fellowship. And honestly, it's not the issue of a loss of salvation that we need to concern ourselves about. Because I've heard people preach that if you have any of these indications in your life, verses 6 all the way through, then you're not saved. No. Believers can have these very same things in their lives. I've been there, done that. And I bet I'm not the only one. Now, it's not an issue of loss of, of fellowship it's, it's, or a loss of salvation. It's a breakdown in our relationship with God. And I don't know, I don't know people's hearts, but it seems like the majority of people, that's not a big issue, a breakdown in their relationship with God. It should be a big issue, bigger than what a lot of people make it out to be. You know, sadly, so many of God's people consider fellowship as... Is primarily a one-sided thing, a one-sided affair. Um, you know, they feel good about themselves, so they must think that they're okay with God. But is that always true? Is that always true? You know, uh, they feel good about themselves. You know, they're busy, they're doing this and doing that. But do they ever take into consideration what God's word has to say on the matter? What does God think about your behavior? What does God think about that attitude? Or what does God think about what you're involved in? You know, we uh, live... What, what is the church age that we live in today? Grace. What? Yes, we live in age of grace. But I'm talking about the seven churches in Revelation. Laodicean church age. Yeah, we live in the Laodicean church age, folks. And the influence of the Laodicean church age mentality is is everywhere. And it just permeates everything. It permeates um, the uh, different Bibles. It permeates the worship. It, it permeates the service. It permeates the priority. I mean, it just permeates everything. You know, they preach a message of self-affirmation. They, you know, they preach a message of they have such a shallow view of what worship is all about. You know, it's all about feeling good. And as long as I feel good about myself, then I must be good with God. Is that always true, though? Is that always true? 
So when we do find ourselves in this situation, we have a blessed provision of confession. We have a blessed provision of confession. For those who desire to walk in the light, God has given us this wonderful condition of of, of confession to just honestly and sincerely deal with whatever it is that the light is exposed about us. 1 John 2, 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Now, who's that talking about? Who's that he's talking about? Who is our standard? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our standard, right? Any other standard other than Jesus Christ is an imperfect standard. So don't go measuring yourself among yourselves. Don't go imitating Pastor Brian, as sweet as a man as he is. Don't go pattering your life after Brian. And definitely don't pattern your life after me. Whatever you do. No, it's Jesus Christ. He is our standard. He is, he is the one that we, he is our model. He is our model. And this is why the passage of 1 John uh, 1, 6 through 10 about the we who say and yet do contrary to what God's word says or what God's light says is so critical for us to understand in regards to our fellowshipping with God. So on your study guide, instead of being in denial concerning our sinfulness, and we are all sinners, are we not? Yep. Even when we may not be conscious of any blatant violation on our part, we are to be sincere before God who is light. We should have the attitude of being ready and prepared to acknowledge our own personal sinfulness. Now, Jesus Christ is our standard. Now, raise your hand if you have met that standard. Anybody? Nobody. So what does that say? It says we got a long way to go, don't it? Yeah. Yeah, we got a long way to go. But our willingness to confess when we need to confess, that's that attitude of readiness to revenge that I talked to you about last week in 2 Corinthians 10.6. Be ready. Be ready to confess. Be ready to acknowledge your shortcoming. God's not going to hold it against you. God's not going to hold it against you. He knows what he's dealing with, folks. You're not putting anything over on God. Again, one of the properties of light is that it reveals to us what is true of us. It, is, it, is, it reveals what is true of us. And I, I can't help but wonder if that's not the reason why many of God's people don't read their Bibles. You know, I've heard a lot of reasons why people don't like to read their Bibles. But I'm wondering if some people don't like reading their Bibles because they don't like what the Bible says about themselves. You know? Hey, when I'm, when I'm out of sorts, <laughs> it's the Bible that I go to first thing. No, it's not. No, when I'm out of sorts, I kind of tentatively open the book. Because I know I'm not right. And my father's going to deal with it through his word. Or we roll around and not being right. 
Yeah, or we roll around in our misery. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So in order to, to, to grow in this light, right, we have to be willing to face what that light reveals. We just do. We have to be willing to face what that light reveals about us. That makes us malleable. You know what malleable is? It's like when you have a lump of clay, you can shape that clay in the way you want it to go. That's what we want to be. We want to be malleable in the hands of our Father. And so when we have this honesty, this sincerity, when God's light reveals something in us and we're willing to confess it, and we're going to talk about that, that keeps you malleable, workable in God's hands. And then he can work that perfect work. But if I'm not going to do that, do you think that's very malleable? No. You know, when I was in our class and we used to work with clay and we came across clay that was not as, you know what we did with it? (laughs) We poured water on it and we beat the snot out of it to get it workable. I, for one, don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. But this is an internal work. It's an internal work of God's grace uh, conforming us into his image. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, I bet most of you in here could probably quote that verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? There's a reason. What is that reason? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly, not thoroughly. Thoroughly, thoroughly. Oh gosh, here I go. Thoroughly versus thoroughly is uh, can be thought of as an outside versus inside starting point. Was it Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. Thoroughly works on an issue from the outside and works towards the inside. Okay? That's where most of your psychologists and psychiatrists and your counselors, that's what they work from. The word thoroughly addresses an inner working of the Word of God and the Spirit of God dwelling in you, working on the inside out toward the out. Because what is the real issue, folks? It's the heart. That's the heart of the matter right there. It's the heart. That's the real issue. That's what needs to be changed. That's what needs to be worked. That's what needs to be perfected. The true issue is the heart of the man. And I mentioned disciple too. Because guess what? Everybody who's a believer, who is heaven bound, isn't necessarily a disciple. Now, is that true or not? You know it's true. You know it's true. There's a lot of people who are saved, they're going to heaven, but there's a lot of people who are not disciples, either by their own choice or because maybe the church they're attending doesn't stress it or they simply don't know anything about it. I mean, I I can remember when I was brand new in the Lord, I got saved, you know, I hung out with some guys, they were showing me things in God's Word, they were correcting me on certain things in my life, I had no clue what was going on. You know what was going on? I was being discipled. 
But I never hadn't, I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a word to put that to. But when I started going to a particular church, the emphasis was on discipleship. And then I realized, oh, that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. It's about discipleship. So don't be, don't be, don't settle for just being saved. Be a disciple. Be a follower of Jesus Christ. Be a learner of, of Jesus Christ. That's the way you're going to grow. That's the only way you're going to grow. When you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going you're gonna to want to obey his word. You're, want, you're going to want to be open and sincere in the light that he reveals. Uh, you want to improve. You want to be more like Jesus Christ. That's being a disciple. That's being a disciple. There's that purging from of the old and making way for the new. That's all an internal work. Now, in regards to confession, I have to bring this up. In some denominations, um, self-flagellation is a discipline or a devotional practice where they will punish the body to purify the spirit, to purify the soul. Uh, They'll punish the body in some way in order to bring purity to the soul, purity to the spirit. Um, This is encouraged in cultures and not necessarily just Christian culture. Okay, This is also true in a lot of other pagan or uh, religions and cultures. But in the Christian culture, there, there is this, this idea of punishing the flesh to punish the body in order to atone or cleanse one's sins or one's soul. And this is Gnosticism at some of its worst. This is the idea that the material of the physical is evil and the spiritual and the spirit is pure and therefore you punish the flesh in order to purify the spirit. Does that, does that make any sense? No, if you're a Bible believer, you, it doesn't make any sense. But if you're not taught the Bible, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. I have, I have personally seen places where people walk on their knees for great distances until their knees are raw and bloodied and sore, seeking to appease God, that God would forgive them because of some sin. I've seen places where you actually see where the pavement is stained with the blood of these poor people on their knees. There's a set of stairs in Rome that claims that, you know, Rome claims that these are the very steps that Jesus ascended when he went up to uh, meet with Pontius Pilate in Pontius Pilate's uh, judgment hall. And Rome teaches, I don't know who it was that took it from Jerusalem and put it in Rome, but Rome teaches that if one ascends these steps on their knees one at a time, saying the Lord's Prayer, then they will deliver a soul out of purgatory. That's Gnosticism, folks. That's that's just plain, simple Gnosticism. That's not biblical, is it? It's not biblical. But yet, 
Millions and millions of people believe that. And millions and millions of people uh, practice that. Now we're thinking to ourselves, well, that's kind of sad. There are Bible believers who do the very same thing. They may not physically may not physically crawl on their knees, but mentally, mentally they flog themselves. Mentally they flog themselves into a self-loathing, and once they whip up this sufficient level of self-loathing about themselves, then, and only then, can they believe they can go and confess and have their sins forgiven. Now, you know that's true. And I dare say some of us in this room may have gone through that little exercise ourselves. You know, we get into this spiritual funk, this, 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 ment- this mental flogging of ourselves, and until we reach that point that we decide, then maybe God can forgive me. That's not grace, folks. That's not grace. That's works. That's works. We have a Father who is willing to forgive. We have a Father who is willing to forgive. Turn to Psalms 103. I don't know, is it on your worksheet? Psalms 103 on your worksheet. Okay, turn to Psalms 103. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. Psalms 103 and verse 8. Start, let's start at verse 8. Raise your hand when you're there. Okay, two, two out of 20. That's pretty good. (laughs) All right, Psalms 103 and verse 8. Whether you're there or not, I'm going to go ahead and start. It says here, this is in Psalms. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. That's in the Old Testament, folks. I don't know how many times I've come across somebody who says, Oh, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He's just a mean old tyrant. This is Old Testament God, folks. He's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. We're just talking different dispensations. It's the same God, just different dispensations. He's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide. You know what that means? He won't ride your back over it. Right? He's not like a father who keeps bringing up past offenses. Always reminding their children where they have failed him. That's not our God. That's not our father. He knows our frame. He knows what we're all about. He knows what he's dealing with. He's quick to forgive. He's quick to forgive. 
It says here he pitieth his children. He pitieth his children. He understands. He understands. So you don't need to whip yourself up into a a level of self-loathing. We have an open-door policy with our Father. Why do we have an open-door policy with our Father? Because we have a high priest. And we're going to talk about that when we get down in uh, 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. We have a high priest in heaven. Our advocate. Our advocate in heaven who's who's there for for us. And he's not indifferent to our cause. Hebrews 2, 17 through 18 says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for for in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. The word succor means to help, to aid to render support, to bring assistance. You don't need to whip yourself up into self-loathing. You don't need to mentally chastise yourself over and over and over again. We've got a high priest in heaven who will bring us aid and help and assistance. He understands. So John is writing to assure that each of us has this promise of forgiveness and cleansing available just to me. Is it just to me or is it to everybody? It's everybody. It's all his children. All of his children. I don't care where you're at on this supposed maturity scale. It's for everybody. Everyone who is a child of God, it's available to everybody. And why is this made why is this made available to us? Because God wants to fellowship with us. That's to maintain fellowship with him. That's why it's there. He wants to fellowship with you. That's not the problem. The problem is how badly do we want to fellowship with him? That's the issue. That's always the issue. But somehow in our, in our minds we flip it around and make him the issue. No, he's not the issue. He's a God of grace. He's a father that pities. We're the issue. And when we discover where we fall short, it says that we should confess it. Now on your study guide, notice that John says nothing about repentance. In 1 John 1 9. It doesn't say, uh, if you, if we confess our sins and repent, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And there's a reason for that. And I don't know if I'll get to that reason or not, but there is a reason for that. On your study guide, I have read commentators and listened to some teachers who tack repentance and forsaking sin onto this verse. They add on to this verse. On your study guide, Christian repentance at times is needful. I'm not preaching against it. If there is a pattern of persistent sin established in a believer's life, then repentance is certainly a necessary thing that must be done. So I'm not preaching against repentance because there are times when repentance is necessary. Uh, repent. What is repentance? 
that's a change of mind, a change of heart toward your sin. That's what it is. Nothing more than that. That change of heart, that change of mind is manifested in what? A change of behavior, change of attitude. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. Return, repentance, it's the same thing. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. A.W. Tozer said one time, he said, A thousand years of remorse over a wrong act would not please God as much as a change of conduct and a reformed life. I mean, I can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but if I keep doing the same thing, pretty soon you're going to get tired of hearing me, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because why? Because I don't really mean it, do I? I really don't mean it. It's the same thing with God. Same thing with God. Now, we're never free from sin's attempt to gain an upper hand in our life, are we? We're never free from that. That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6 all the way to Romans chapter 8. But praise God, we have someone dwelling in us who is stronger than that sin nature. 1 John 4, 4, he says, You are of God, little children have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, who is it that's in you? Yeah. Now, is he more powerful than that sin nature? Yes, he is. But he's left it up to choose who we decide to follow, who we decide to obey. That's the problem, is your choice. Do you choose to be filled with the Spirit of God, or do you choose to let the flesh have its free way? Paul writes in Romans 6, 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And that's the problem. We choose to serve sin. We choose to serve it. Sin's power over us has been broken. But we still encounter that gravitational pull of sin that wants to keep us stuck on this planet, keep us stuck on this world, to love the world and the things of the world. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, he says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, who is it that Paul is telling to do this? Us. You see, I, okay, i got to be careful here. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I probably already have. There are some people who have this thinking about God... And that it will be God that will make them do the right thing. As if, you know, they sit on their hands and they have no involvement. That's not how God set this up. He wants us to be obedient. Who makes the decision to be obedient? Is it, is it God? Or is it you? Is it God or is it you? 
See, the Corinthian church, they needed to make some matters right in their assembly. Was God going to come down and just... No, they had to make a decision. They had to repent. They had to make things right. It was, it was there. They were accountable for their own sin. They were accountable for that fleshly attitude and that fleshly behavior. And so they had to make some changes. Same is true with any of us. The same is true with any of us. Now, this church apparently did do that. They did do that. They got things right. That's what 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through um, um, 11 says. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. See, Paul was felt kind of bad for coming down on this church because he was a soft, soft-hearted man. For I perceive that the same epistle that hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us and nothing. And then he goes on and he talks about how they, they did. They repented of some of these things that they were involved in. So yeah, at times in a Christian's life, repentance is necessary. It is necessary. But in the context of 1 John, repentance is not here. Repentance is not found. See, the context of 1 John 1 9 is, is, is fellowshipping with the Father of light. He's talking about those who are walking in the light as God is in the light. He's talking about those who have discovered some issue in their life that they need to grow up about, that they have to deal with some matter, some issue of the heart that they need to confess and trust in God's forgiveness and cleansing in the matter. So on your study guide, it's not an issue of repentance in this case as it is more about the continual work of sanctification brought by God in the life of one who is walking in the light as he is in the light. So it's not a matter of repentance that we're talking about here. It's talking about sanctification. I don't know what that would be. Wrought by God in the life of one who is walking in the light as he is in the light. Okay, well, let's move on to the next one. I don't know what that would be. By cultivating, is the word, cultivating this open and sincere relationship with God who is light, walking in agreement in the light of his word, being willing to confess our sin when exposed by his light, we then remain and maintain fellowship with the Father and abide in his light. That's a mouthful. But that just simply means, yes, Lord, I agree with you. And I confess it, and I trust in your forgiveness and your cleansing. And we're going to talk about that. And that's for the purpose of sanctification, maintaining that fellowship. The forgiveness and cleansing is always available to us. Always. Always available to us. And the main thing with us, it always proves a constant challenge with us, is that when the light does expose something about us, are we going to deny it? Are we going to minimize it? Are we going to try to ignore it? Say, oh, we'll deal with that later? 
No, when it's exposed, when the Holy Spirit of God exposes it to you, that's the time to deal with it. That's the time to deal with it. Don't minimize it. Don't minimize it. When we remain open and sincere before God and we confess what his light has revealed to us, we can be assured of his forgiveness and cleansing. And why is that? Why is that? You remember what I told you what the basis of our fellowship was in the first place? I know that was probably a few lessons back. Look at 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all all sin. The basis of our fellowship with God is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ only. That's why we have fellowship with God. Not because I'm a good fellow. It's because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ's cleansing blood. It is a grace relationship, not a works relationship. It's a grace relationship, not a works relationship. You know, uh, with this understanding about God's grace and fellowship, this should bring liberty to the legalists and accountability to the libertarian. Remember the two extremes we talk about? Grace always brings balance in the relationship of the believer and his father. Grace always. If it's out of balance, then there's either no grace or there's a misunderstanding of grace. There's either no grace or there's a misunderstanding, a a, a false teaching on grace. Ephesians 4.14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in in wait to deceive. You know, there there is is so much teaching out there, folks, that is causing such instability in the churches and such imbalance in churches. There's such extremes going on in churches. Because of this false teaching on grace, there's either no grace, there is a misunderstanding about grace. But when you go to God's Word, and you allow God's Word to show you God's grace, then that balance begins to take place in your life. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in good works or license? No. Love. Love. Instead of unity in the church, we see divisions and factions and denominations and isms. Everything from Calvinism to Catholicism, uh, Pentecostalism to Protestantism. That's a hard word to say. I mean, we have these extremes in the church today. As I was... um, studying on this epistle, 1 John, and I was studying on this passage. 
I came to a, a personal hard truth. This is not about salvation. This epistle is not a litmus test on whether a person is saved or not. You know what this epistle is all about? It's about a mature walk with God. That's what it's about. It's about a mature walk with God. Think on that for a minute. That's a hard matter. That's a hard matter. A mature walk with God. It's not a litmus test about somebody's salvation. If you want to put a test on it, it's it's a litmus test on a person's walk with God. Are we playing games? Or is it real? Are we making excuses? Or are we willing to do the grown-up thing and face those hard issues in our lives? Are we downplaying our part in this relationship? Or are we taking a hard look at our part in this relationship? Are we really facing the reality of what it is to be in fellowship with God? Or are we making up the rules in our fellowship with God? That's a hard truth. That's a hard truth. And that's a hard truth that not many people want to deal with and want to face. Because they're content. They're content where they're at. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? I have to ask myself, how much in agreement am I with God in these issues? You know, in some I'm, I am. Some you are. And others I'm not. You know, this, con- this confronts those in verse 6 who say they have fellowship but walk in darkness. This confronts those in, in verse 8 who want to deny their sin being self-deceived yet claim they are in fellowship. This confronts those in verse 10 who want to ignore their sin and still claim to be in fellowship. You see, this, this, is, this is like in, where is that, in John chapter 6 where, it's, where those guys quit following Jesus because it was, it was hard, some of the hard sayings he had to say? That's the reality of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, folks. I do believe he said to his disciples, unless you are willing to pick up something and carry it, what is that something? Cross. And what does that cross represent? Death. Death to who? Self. So if one desires to be in fellowship with God then be the kind of person God can fellowship with. That's not legalistic. That's just fact. It's just the way it is. If you desire to be in fellowship with God, then be the kind of person God can fellowship with. Again, we're not talking about salvation, folks. You're secure in Jesus Christ. Alright? You are secure in Jesus Christ. We're talking about fellowship. We're talking about relationship with God. How, how much of a relationship do you really desire? How much of a relationship do you really desire? 
And don't look at this as something to make you feel bad about yourself either. And if I come across that way, I apologize. That's just my temperament. <laughs> okay? No, God, God's revealing this stuff about us, not to make us feel bad about us, but to show us what, you know, about things about us so that we can have this wonderful fellowship with Him. You know, He's just, that's all it is. Uh, let's see here. This may be a poor analogy. You've got a marriage, right? Now, if that couple doesn't talk about these things about each other in a mature, loving way, then is that relationship going to flourish? Is that relationship going to be improved? Is it going to become better? No, it's not. If you have a couple who are going to honestly deal with these these issues, you know, why don't you pick your underwear up off the floor? Why do I always have to go behind you and pick up your underwear off the floor? What is the what is the what is the wife supposed to be? Pick up her underwear off the floor. You you thought I was going to go the other way with that, didn't you? Right? It's just little things like that. And that that may be a poor analogy, but it's the same thing with with our fellowship with God, you know? Can you find fault with God? I can't. Can God find fault with me? Yeah. But does he chide me for it? No. He doesn't chide me for it. He gives me opportunity to correct it. That's what he does. Gives me opportunity to correct it. And that's part of confession. Yep, Lord, I see that. You're absolutely right. You know, it's going to it's going to be hard for me to change this particular habit. It's going to be hard for me to but I trust in you. You're going to help me. You're going to show me. You're going to give me the strength. You're going to succor me. You're going to be able to, you know, you're going to help me. See, we don't have to do this on our own, folks. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So bottom line, what we're looking at here is a mature walk of grace with God who is light, righteousness, and love. That's what it is. It's a mature walk of grace with God who is light, righteousness, and love. And let me tell you something. When you approach 1 John, the epistle of 1 John in that way, that's more powerful than approaching John as a litmus test on, okay, let's see, I make this and this, and therefore I must be saved. I mean, you can tick off the list of, okay, this is the proof that I'm saved, and then you can, you're good to go. But if you approach this as a mature walk of grace with God, who is light, love, and righteousness, <laughs> then you're going to be challenged, and you're going to be pushed, and you're going to be stretched, and you're going to be tried. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because I don't know about you, but I, I need to grow up. And I want to grow up. What about you? What about you? And it's more than just head knowledge. Though that is important. It's more than just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. And as I said, that is, that is the real issue. It's heart knowledge. 
Now there are two wonderful things, two wonderful truths about the Father that's found in this verse. And I'm not going to be able to get to it. And this is really where I want to go. This I know. This is really where I want to go because when you see these two wonderful truths that's in this verse, in verse 9, it is going to be such a blessing. And, and hopefully, I, with, the, with, the, with these two truths about the Father in verse 9 that we're going to look at, I'm hoping, what I'm really hoping is that the context of what we're talking about in 1 John 6 all the way through 10, I'm hoping that the context will click, that a, no pun intended, a light will go on <laughs> in your hearts and minds, and you will say, ah, I get it. Because I think if you get what he is saying here in 1 John 1, 9, I, if you get what he's saying here, then you're going to get that entire section of what he's talking about. Okay? So that's a motive for you to come next Sunday and hear the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey put it. So, uh, other than the blank that's missing, and I don't know what that blank is, is there any other missing blanks or any questions or comments before we close out? Do you guys see where I'm tracking, as, as Brian would say? Kinda? Can you see where I'm going with this? Okay. Because it's so important. It's so important that we understand it's not an issue of salvation. It's an issue of a mature walk of grace with God who is light. That's the issue. And it's being threatened. The answer at the bottom of page three. Some commentators and teachers will back with that repentance and repentance Let me see if I can find it. I don't know what that would be. Does anybody have that for her? Thank you, Father. Page three. Forsaking. That's it. Forsaking. Okay. Okay. If not, we'll go ahead and close out in prayer. Good to go? Okay. Well, thank you for coming to visit us. Make sure you introduce yourself to these folks. They're checking out all the ABFs, and hopefully I didn't scare you away. So, But do check out all the other ABFs and uh, see what they're like. And Carmen, don't let me forget this little package for you. All right, so let's go ahead and close out in prayer. All right. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, Father, uh, for the open door that we have with you all the time. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where we're at in our walk. It doesn't matter where we're at in our attitude or anything like that. We can be as stinky as stinky as is. But Lord, you're, you're just, you're willing to receive us if we just come to you with a contrite heart 
confessing the Lord our shortcomings, knowing that you will receive us like the prodigal son returning to his father. And sometimes, and Lord, we don't necessarily have to be a prodigal son. We, you know, it's just it's just one of those things that when we look into your word and and you know something is there that uh, maybe we weren't aware of, uh, you show that for a reason. You give that to us for a purpose, and that is always to be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, in attitude of heart and in mind and everything. And, and Lord, we just thank you for that for that um, attentiveness, and we thank you, Father, for that concern. We thank you, Father, for that compassion. Now help us, Lord, because it's 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 tough for us down here on earth uh, to walk this this uh, this walk of grace when we've got all these other voices saying this and saying that and trying to pull us this way and trying to pull us that way just help us father to keep our eyes focused on the lord jesus christ who is our standard help us father to keep our nose in your book so that we can understand what your will is for our lives and then fill our hearts lord with your light as your spirit ministers to us we thank you and we praise you in christ's name amen